Guideline First Look Guideline for Electrosurgical Safety by Lisa Croak The recommendations in the AORN, Guideline for Electrosurgical Safety, which were previously a part of the AORN, Guideline for Safe Use of Energy Generating Devices, rather than a standalone guideline, have been updated from the 2015 version and will be available in the AORN's eGuidelines Plus in July 2020. The guideline outlines the safe use of electrosurgical units, ESUs, electrocautery devices, and argon-enhanced coagulators. According to Byron L. Burlingame, AORN Senior Perioperative Practice Specialist and lead author of the guideline, the biggest risk associated with electrosurgery that this guideline aims to address is patient burns. Quote, This is especially important in laparoscopic procedures because the burns may go unnoticed. End quote, he said. Quote, Other burns include visible burns from a dispersive electrode or burns surrounding items like jewelry that lie in the pathway between the active and dispersive electrodes. End quote. Injury Prevention New guidance was added regarding when metal jewelry worn by the patient, for example, subdermal, microdermal, and transdermal implants, cannot be removed, and reporting of patient deaths and ESU malfunctions. For patients undergoing electrosurgery, any metal jewelry that will be between the active and dispersive electrodes ideally should be removed. However, if this is not possible, the surgeon should be alerted. Use of other technology should be considered. Patients should be educated about possible adverse events, and all jewelry sites should be evaluated postoperatively for burns. Perioperative personnel should ensure that they document the patient education provided and jewelry site evaluations performed. If a medical device, for example ESU, is suspected to have contributed to a patient death, it must be reported to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and if known, the device manufacturer. Malfunctioning ESUs also may be reported to the FDA. It may be necessary to report these items to other regulatory bodies based on state or local regulations. Quote, We added information regarding reporting because we wanted readers to be aware that these avenues for reporting exist and to encourage people to report, end quote, Burlingame said. Quote, Reporting helps improve the database of problems related to the equipment. End quote. Accessories Two new recommendations were added to the section on accessories based on public comment. The first was to assemble an interdisciplinary team that includes staff members from the sterile processing and perioperative departments to identify a standardized method of communication and actions that should occur when insulation failure is identified during reprocessing. These may include notifying the physician and documenting the failure according to the facility's policy. The second new recommendation was that when using an active electrode tip, an anti-stick phospholipid solution may be used to decrease eschar buildup on the tip. Implanted Electronic Devices Burlingame indicated that the recommendations that discuss implanted electronic devices, IEDs, have been completely reworked to highlight the new evidence available to guide best practices. Quote, This is an essential set of recommendations 
that should be reiterated to perioperative team members treating the increasing number of patients with IEDs. End quote, he said. Quote, if perioperative personnel do not follow proper procedures outlined in this section of the guideline, injuries to the patient and IED malfunctioning may occur. End quote. When electrosurgery is planned for patients with IEDs, the anesthesia professional and perioperative nurse should consult with a team managing the IED before surgery to define interventions required to safely manage the device intra- and postoperatively. In an emergent situation, when the team managing the IED is unavailable, the anesthesia professional and preoperative nurse, or RN circulator, should consult the IED manufacturer via a 24-hour hotline to determine the necessary interventions. In either scenario, the anesthesia professional or nurse should provide the following information. The patient's reliance on the IED, availability of someone to reprogram the IED if needed, the planned surgery, if cardioversion or defibrillation is expected to be performed, the patient's position intraoperatively, the possibility of electromechanical interference based on the device being used and other possible sources of electromechanical interference, the location of the generator, the procedure room location, and the patient's disposition after surgery. Information regarding the IED can be obtained from evaluations of patients, caregivers, the identification card, or the medical record, to guide the selection of applicable interventions. This includes the type of IED, patient's dependence on the IED and symptoms experienced when the IED is off, location of the device and leads, manufacturer and model, clinical identification for the IED, date of last interrogation or evaluation, battery life, and device function and settings. If the patient has a cardiac IED, it is also important to note lead polarity, need for programming, response to magnets, presence of an alert status, and the most recent pacing threshold. A new recommendation was added to the section on assembling an interdisciplinary team comprised of perioperative nurses, scrub personnel, anesthesia professionals, surgeons, manufacturer representatives, and other stakeholders to create a clinical support tool outlining interventions to perform in patients with IEDs when the managing team or manufacturer is unavailable. Quote, the tool also can be used in emergent situations when there is not time to contact the managing team or manufacturer for assistance, end quote, Berlingame said. The tool should include interventions specific to each type of IED. To decrease the risk of adverse events from electrosurgery, interventions for patients with an IED may include inactivation or reprogramming of the device and placement of the dispersive electrode close to the surgical site, and far from the generator and leads. The active electrode cords need to be kept away from the pulse generator, and it needs to be confirmed that the IED and leads are not between the active and dispersive electrodes. The ESU should be activated for the shortest duration possible, and set at the lowest possible power setting that will create the desired effects. It is recommended to use an alternative technology instead of monopolar electrosurgery, if possible. For patients with a cardiac IED, interventions may include placement of a magnet over it for reprogramming when needed, use of at least a 5-lead electrocardiogram system and a beat-to-beat -beat indicator, and having temporary pacing equipment, an external defibrillator, and, if appropriate, 
a magnet immediately available. A new recommendation was added that the team managing the implant should be consulted as soon as possible after surgery to identify appropriate postoperative interventions. This will allow for IED function to be verified or for the IED to be restarted if it was inactivated. Education and postoperative instructions regarding the effects of electrosurgery on IEDs should be provided to patients and their caregivers. Conclusion This updated guideline is focused on the safe use of ESUs, electrocautery devices, and argon-enhanced coagulators, and it includes new guidance related to metal jewelry worn by patients, reporting ESU malfunctions and patient deaths, and appropriately managing IEDs in surgical patients. Quote, By adopting these guidelines, AORN hopes that teams can create an environment where there are no injuries caused by electrosurgery. End quote. Berlingame concluded.